Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Let's go back to 2011 and look at the World Cup with Squidge. Let's go back to 2011 and look at the World Cup with Squidge. Hello and welcome to the Squidge Rugby... I can't even do it. I can't even do the voice I was going for. <laughs> I was trying to do really posh. I don't know if you saw any of the Canadian coverage of the game we're going to be talking about. The game of rugby? The game of rugby. Yes, it's a Squidge Rugby okay. World Cup retrospective. My name's Robbie or Squidge. You are? Will Owen, I think. Great, okay. We've done. We've done the introduction. That's fine. So the game is one. Tonga v Canada. And I watched the version on YouTube which had the Canadian coverage of this game. And it seemed to be hosted for some reason. It was it was as though you did an experiment as to what would happen if you took a BBC newsreader from the 1940s and made it present modern-day ESPN. It was fascinating, because it was the world's poshest man with two proper American sports pundit types yeah. who were kind of spitting cliches. Yeah, he was there talking in a very, very profound voice about how Canada needs to get up in the faces of the Tongans and make their tackles. And meanwhile, yeah. Gareth Reese was just sat next to him like, yeah, sure, then it's been it a bit Gar- aggressive. Was Gareth Reese? yes. Yeah. I knew I recognised him. And somebody um, else, who I can't remember. And yeah, someone else. Brian something, I think. But yeah, so you had this man, this this incredibly posh man. And it was like, you know when you watch like, the, the coverage of like the 1906 Five Nations yeah. on YouTube? <laughs> and it's like a very posh man time. going... Yes, and then he does a lovely kick and he scores in the corner. A thrilling try for France. I can't yeah. even do a posh voice. I'm not no. like, yeah, I'm the wrong level of it. Yeah, and it was it was like that bloke. They managed to get that bloke back from presumably the dead and <laughs> wanted to host this coverage. It was fascinating. I loved it. Yeah, no, no. I like the contrast between all three of the pundits, actually. Yeah. Because Gareth Reese clearly, like, he had a good analytical head on him, actually, and was talking yeah. about, like, you know, about like psychologically what the teams wanted to do particularly I was mainly watching the half time coverage I didn't watch as much of the pre-match stuff and then the other guy was kind of just like yeah Canada just kind of get up in their heads and you know rip their faces off you know my favourite thing in it was at one point Gareth Reese says during half time that Tonga haven't kicked the ball at all and the other pundit kind of goes oh yeah and you kind of see it set in on his face like oh they haven't I, I didn't realise that until now <laughs> yeah and also that I like that Gareth Reese. All he talked about was kicking. He was asked, like, so what do you think of Canadians' defence? And he was like, uh, yeah, they did some tackles, but they're kicking. It's like <laughs> classic Gareth Reese. Yeah, yeah. So, as we mentioned, the game was Tonga against Canada in the opening World Cup. This now means we've officially had a game from every nation in the World Cup. It was Samoa and oh, Canada wow. were the last two. Canada was the last team to play their first match. We've now looked at all of them. Uh, so this was a it was a properly entertaining game. Yeah, it was, it, just to touch on teams, it was mm. a really good Canadian team. I feel yeah. like there's at least sort of a player who could sort of get by quite consistently in every single position. 
yeah. then some decent players on the bench as well who they brought off and made a decent impact. But particularly to start off looking at the backs, James Pritchard, mm. great player, yeah. had what, 250, 300 odd appearances for Bedford Blues in his career? Yeah, um, James Pritchard was one of these players that I think you look at it and you go, oh, he played 200 games in the championship and you think he must have been that tier of player. But actually he was offered deals in the premiership and he turned yeah. them down because he loved Bedford Blues. Yeah, and yeah. They were the first place to offer him a deal when he was a young Canadian player. I think playing in the 99 World Cup because he went on to play in five World Cups. Yeah. He was offered a deal really early on in professional rugby, signed for Bedford Blues and stayed there for his entire career. Good on him. Yeah. People often underestimate as well the quality of rugby in the championship, you know, because sometimes there's some players you get who mill about who are sort of like average players, sure, whatever. But realistically in the championship, you do always have those those teams who have like one player who really, really stands out, who is of a yeah. good premiership standard. And James Pritchard was very much one of those players. Really consistent goal kicker, good tackler. And just one of those people, as you, you were saying, from the fact that he played five World Cups, would just give everything. Yeah, I and mean, he played 60-odd games for Canada, like goal kicker, as you say, and so consistent. He was a proper fullback, as I always like to call him. Yeah. Like he he did the every job you could want from a fullback so solidly, and there's a lot there's a couple of points in the commentary where you heard them going, "God, this this Pritchard's a solid little fullback, isn't he?" Yeah, yeah. Because he just he did everything you wanted of them. Yeah, exactly. So look at the rest of that Canadian team again. They've got DT Vandermeer playing 13 this year. Yeah. At the point, I remember having this running joke because right before this World Cup, he dyed his hair, he bleached it bright blonde. Yeah. And we're like, well, it was basically a running joke that we were saying that. He thinks that because he plays for Glasgow, he can do whatever he wants for his appearance. Bear in mind, at this point, Glasgow weren't maybe the superpower yeah, they were like since then. They mid-table. mid-table, they were the yeah. Dan Parks era, you know, yeah, of like, yeah. they turned up, they kicked you to death, and yeah. they scraped home by two points against you, rather than yeah. being table-winning side. And there was, there was points as well where, like, DTH would come in and call shots, like, at 10 and stuff like that. Yeah. And we had this sort of joke, as I say, about, like, oh, yeah, he plays for Glasgow, thinks he can do everything, but... No, he, to, to be fair, uh, I will come on more to GTH, but he mm. was a lot better than I remember him being. Oh, no, he was so good. He and was he's phenomenal, yeah. You forget how strong he was as well. Yeah. Like, he really worked as a centre in this, this era. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's I thought that... Because I think he played played a bit of fullback in the previous World Cup, maybe, I think. Uh, he played mostly on the wing, yeah, and then yeah, fullback, I think. Obviously, he was mainly a winger, DTH, and has been throughout his entire career. But at this point, it just felt like, oh, well, DTH Vandermeer is the player that everyone's heard of, you know, get him a bit more involved and so on. But like Kieran Hearn and Phil McKenzie on the wings, pretty good competition, yeah. you know? They're not bad players. So yeah, he he started on the wing in two of Canada's games, or three of Canada's games in that World Cup, and started at fullback against Australia. Right. And then after that World Cup, started every game between 2009, uh, didn't play in 2008, he was injured. Then every single game, apart from one in the centre, one on the wow. wing. Okay. So he basically converted the centre for, and they, they properly committed to him there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was really impressed with the way that they used DTH as well. Like, often you see wingers who sort of are played in the centre. It's just an opportunity to give them the ball a bit more, you know, inject a bit of pace into the midfield. But I was impressed, like, they quite often drop him back to fullback as well hmm. and give him chances to counterattack. There was often, he was kind of used as an extra back row forward as well. Like, as you were saying hmm. earlier, like, the level of strength that he had was really underestimated. Yeah, and I think you've mentioned the back row. I think we should talk about the Canadian back row. Yeah. And especially focus on one man, the official man of the match, a Mr. Aaron... No, sorry. Adam. Uh, Adam... Cle- I was going to say Aaron Carpenter. I was going to mix them up. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Carpenter was a very close man of the match. He was a yes, very good great, show. Yeah. And he was the other one the commentary kept talking about as being really impressive, scored yeah. a try. But yeah, the official man of the match, a Mr. Adam Kleberger, who became famous during this World Cup as kind of the king of the 
what they called the Canadian Beardos, which yeah. was Hubert Biden's the loose head, Jeb Sinclair in the second row, who had, I think earlier that year, maybe the year before, become the first Canadian to play Super Rugby, and then went on to obviously have a really good career in France and sort yeah, of a cross league. He went on, yeah. exactly, yeah. Fetterman and Irish. Basically played in every top league. Yeah. Really solid career. And then Adam Kleberger in the back row. And I don't know if you've seen the story. I went back and watched a feature on them from the Canadian News on the story behind their beards. No. So, yeah, it's a it's a tradition in Canadian hockey of the playoff beard. Yeah. Of yeah, when of you get into the playoff, the kind of end of season section, the players don't shave and they grow a beard for the sake of it. And so you saw during the last two World Cups, you've seen a lot of players do that. They haven't shaved from the moment the World Cup starts to the moment it finishes. Uh, so like yeah. Tyler Ardo, a big hockey fan, did the same thing. And it happened with a fair few of the, the Canada team. This was a tradition that Hubert Bidens and Jeb Sinclair talked about after leaving the Canada camp. They went and played a few games in Wales in January. And they decided, tell you what, why don't we not shave until the end of the World Cup? <laughs> and this was from January through to September. So they, by the time they came into camp, they had pretty solid beards going. Yeah, they had good beards, both of them. Except they then came to look around the room and saw Adam Kleberger had been doing exactly the same thing. And he hadn't shaved in like two months either. And they were all like, no, he's got the most impressive beard in the room. Kleberger walks in like he's the final boss. <laughs> exactly, yeah. They had to defeat him three times. Yeah, you think yours is good, but... You finally reach the final boss. It's Adam Kleberger, but he jumps into an unreachable area and sends down Jeb Sinclair for you to fight instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, if, if anybody here can't be bothered to go and watch the full game, which, as we've said, is on YouTube, just go and look at Kleberger's beard instead. Yeah. Because that's the most important part of this game. And I can remember hashtag Kleberger's beard weren't trending on Twitter after this game finished. Yes. Because, <laughs> I mean, as you say, he was the official man of the match. He put in a, it was a really, like, pretty much game of his life level. And he had that beard. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, here's a really hardworking, really dynamic back rower with that beard. It was amazing. Can we just quickly touch on where we were when we watched this game live? We were waiting to go to school. It was yes, that morning. We were. Yes, I remember so it. This game kicked off probably about six a.m. I'm guessing. Yeah, so six seven a.m. Yeah. This game, this game finished at about the time. Well, a bit later than we would have normally wanted to go to school. So yes. I, I remember I turned up a little bit late. And somebody in form, like the form tutor discussing, oh yeah, that guy with the beard with Canada was pretty good, wasn't he? <laughs> so yeah, I was like, which one? But I knew which one. That's brilliant. No, yeah. I had the opposite thing. If I was in sick form at the time, so I didn't have to be in for registration, I'd just be in for my first lesson. Yeah. So I had a bit more leeway. I could afford to leave after the final whistle because it's a game that properly goes down to the wire as well. Yeah, I don't think we mentioned yeah. the score. It finished 25-20. And it was a... To Canada. You know, there's, yeah, to Canada, sorry. The last game Canada have won at a World Cup. They haven't won one since. Wow. Of course. Uh, yeah. And it was a proper back and forth thing. So Jeb Sinclair scores early on, and then Kansas kick a penalty to get further ahead. Siali Piertel scores right on half time. But it's, even though it's quite a low scoring first half, it's really entertaining. Yeah, it because is. Because it's, yeah. it's so open, because both teams are defending so narrow. Yeah, yeah. And even though Canada at one point go 10 0 up, you're still looking at it mm. thinking, this is really evenly matched. And Tonga yeah. do look like scoring. You know, yeah. like often you look at a team that's being nilled and you think, nah, they're not going anywhere. But Tongi, you, you just sense they'll get like a lucky bounce or, you know, mm. a slice of luck somewhere along the way that will lead to them scoring a try. And that's exactly what happened to them. Pretty much, yeah. And as you said, just because both teams, it's a really good recipe for a game. A bit like that famous Ospreys Beer Ritz game in 2010, 
where the pitch was so wide that neither yeah. team could defend because they're playing like a massive football pitch. Yeah, when the pitch is wide enough that Andrew Bishop starts making breaks at will. <laughs> yes. This game was kind of similar in that because kind of the Tongan defence was very much, they spread quite narrow and then drifted out, whereas the Canadian defence was exactly the opposite and they spread yeah. really wide and then felt sprinted in. Yeah. It meant that both wing, both sides had so much space that kind of just outside the 13 channel, in the end, it only took sort of two good passes, two yeah. well-executed passes to to exploit that, to get outside them. There's an interesting point on this because there's a break early in the first half when Siali hmm. Piatau just very quickly got on the outside of DTH. Yes. Uh, then gave the ball to Hello, I think it was on his outside. And it was it looked really simple because all it took was one good pass from Moa, which unfortunately mm. was a rarity in this game because a lot of them were I, going astray. I completely disagree with that. Really? I felt Taniela Moa was the only Tongan who was actually able to pass the ball. You see, because I think the, the thing is, there were two or three times where Moa would do this like exquisite perfect miss pass but yeah. the amount of times his passes went to the floor it must have been at least three or four yeah, uh, there's a couple of those unlock the canadian defense and that weird way of bounce pass seems to always do this and kind of leads to one of the tries as well yeah there's one where um he tries to do like a simple pop pass and it goes hmm. straight to the floor and Andy monroe attempts this like brian o'driscoll style one-handed flick up and obviously knocks it on because He's not Brian yes. O'Driscoll. Yes, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. But I love this about Andrew Monroe in this game because he basically, like, you know, there was an advert that used to be on Welsh TV. It's been S4C. Uh, it was an advert for a garage, right, or a tyre company or something. Right. And for some reason, they did all of the, you'll remember this, they did all of these little adverts where they get, like, various rugby people in. So they had, like, Tom Shank, yes. the voice over in one. They had Ricochet and Phil Steele, who do kind of, yeah. like, pitch side commentary on a lot of rugby matches in Wales on Scrum 5 and kind of Welsh shows. And they got them in to do the voices over on the adverts. And they were all kind of vaguely rugby-related. And there was one, and this is a long ta- longer tangent I thought it was going to be, there was one in which a guy has been knocked out and concussed. And the doctor says, and they cast Ricochet, who obviously is now a doctor, they cast him to say, oh, you know, he's been knocked out. He doesn't know who he is. And he says, that's great. Tell him he's Jamie Robertson. Get him back on the pitch. We need him. <laughs> oh, <you laughs> and it was a bit like... Phil Steele wrote that himself as well, can't you? Yeah, I know. And Andy Monroe, he kind of takes a blow to the head early on. And I feel like that happens. Someone, tell him he's Dan Carter and get him back on the pitch. <laughs> Because he then spent the rest of the game kind of playing like this this weird mashup of like Dan Carter, an open side flanker, and an action man. <laughs> he was amazing because he was so all action for a flanker. No, for a, that's it. Even I'm getting yeah. confused for a ten because he was both slotting in and properly distributing the ball and throwing lovely passes and bringing his forwards into the game and bringing his centres in. But he was also flying out the line to make huge hits on the Tongan forwards. Yes. He put on yeah. a huge hit on Valmoronga. Uh, who I yes, don't remember him. whatsoever. Yeah. Just I've just had to look at his name. But, I don't but he properly sprints out. Like, Tonga's got an overlap. Him. If he can, yeah, completely nails one of the massive Tongan forward twice his size. It's... And he's also, like, filling in and taking tight carries on the angle. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, from the, coming around the corner. He's doing literally everything and yet still operating as a fly half. It's very strange, though, because obviously he puts that huge shot on and... and on mm. a Tongan number seven, which, you know, is a pretty daunting task. And then for the rest of the game, it's clearly part of the Canadian tactics that they're hiding him outside centre, which, for the record, is always a terrible idea, uh, hiding your ten in the centre channel. And then they have to end up paying the price for it. There's a point in the second half when they have um, Fatafei, the Tongan centre, cuts back yes. and does this brilliant backhanded offload for Helu. But, yeah. And they paid the yeah. price for that. It was very difficult to tell sort of where Monroe was supposed to be in defence. Yeah. 
But I, I felt like part of that was deliberate. I felt like part of that was them going, clearly he can come in and make these reads. True. And watching him, he's far better when he was sprinting out of line, when he was the person coming in to make the hit, rather than someone running at him. He wasn't rolling very well. He wasn't kind of taking those hits, as that was exactly what happened with Fatafé. And I don't know if they just went, actually, 50% of his tackling is really good. Let's get the most out of that, because 13 is the position, especially at this point, where you're most likely to sprint out of line and make a big hit, and that's the thing you can do. And he did. There was another time he did it as well on one of the Tonga backs, where he just really came in and cut the move off. Right. Yeah. And I just wonder whether that was a deliberate tactic on on the, the Canadians' part to try and get the most out of him, rather than hiding him. Yeah. Okay. That that does sound a bit more feasible because, as I say, like, well, I guess you know, as I say, it's a terrible idea hiding somebody at thirteen. But I suppose yeah. if somebody's a really good tackler, just a Marshall pointed that on the comms, that, you know, if somebody's a really good tackler that usually plays 10, and you've got somebody who maybe soaks up tackles, you put that guy at 10, if you think yeah. he's still going to make the tackle, and you put your good tackler at 13, so... Yeah. Yeah. Then, okay, so you mentioned Sammy Fatahe, the Tongan 12, who yeah. I didn't remember, to be honest. I didn't really have I his name, but memory I don't of. remember much else. Yeah. And I also, like, having looked at his first name, I've got no idea how he got Sammy from that, but yeah, there we go. Party. Latu Nayagashi Alapati I fell over, yeah. Uh, my mouth fell over. Uh, he got he landed on Sammy. Fair enough. So he he his first touch, he just outright under no pressure drops the ball. Yeah. And it's one of those like you see a four year old do where he probably slaps the ball at the ground when he's trying to get it, like no coordination whatsoever. And then he also tries to throw a few minutes later, throw like a really loopy pass, throws it right over the winger's head, who knocks it on. And there's a few moments in the first half where like, he loses the ball in contact as well. And I figured he's one of these centres who, like we talked about with the, the big fat lad who came off the bench with Japan, whose name oh, I forgot. Oh, Tupaeli, yeah. Tupaeli, thank you. Yeah. Uh, the centre that kind of existed at this point of big lads carry the ball because they saw Jamie Roberts and Martin Honu and they didn't have hands. And instead, actually, second half he comes out and he's like oh, taking he some sort of masterclass. Yeah. Exactly. Like, so he throws that really like sumptuous little pop it's out a the back. Corner offload, yeah. He kind of throws it over his shoulder, doesn't he? Like, as yeah. he's being tackled, like, and he's off balance and he's being tackled sort of, it's difficult to describe without gesturing, but his shoulders are facing towards the goal line and he manages to throw it over yes. his shoulder, still make it go backwards. Yeah. And Helu takes it brilliantly as a bit of a Riley Polly, but. He almost like throws it through his neck. Yeah. Which is a hell of a neck as well. And it is, it's probably like, you know, I've used the example before, but like the Monty Python philosophy sketch. Yeah. yeah. It's like at half time, he suddenly went, passing rugby, I've got it. And suddenly he had amazing hands, having barely been able to pass or catch in the first half. Yeah, yeah. It was a bizarre game he had, but I guess on aggregate, pretty good. Yeah, no, I I think he probably came out in the positive. Just because the positive things he did, very few players could have done to that level. Yeah. Whereas the negative things he did were, you know, like, yes, he dropped it under no pressure. And it looked really shit, but it's not that big a deal if you knock the ball on on halfway. Yeah, I know it, what you mean. You know, whereas assisting a break that leads to a try. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You take that over someone that drops the ball under no pressure when nothing was coming. Anyway. Sure, sure. Should we talk about the first Canadian try? First try of the match by Jeff Sinclair. Let's, let's, let's. Yeah. Okay. Because I think this is interesting because... We watched the version on YouTube that's uploaded in parts, and the part in which this try is scored is missing. As is, there are two compilations on YouTube of every try from that World Cup, and in both of them, the try is missing. Yeah. Which leads me to ask, why is this the try that World Rugby is hiding? 
why is it that you can't find footage of this try? And eventually, it's on the halftime show, so yeah. I have seen it, and you know, I have watched it back a couple of times. I found a bit of amateur footage as well, which showed it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what is? It? But that's it. You need to go into like the depths of the dark web to find yeah. footage of this try. Like, what? What are World Rugby hiding? Is it like incriminating evidence yeah. across? Like, does like, Jonathan Kaplan say or do something that that would bring <laughs> the World Rugby down? Is there something like on? When DTH takes the ball, is he like say. offloading details on like bloody Jeremy Epstein? Is he like up? He's just passing a ball and gesturing at the crowd. He's doing something in Morse code or sign language. I was just going to say, Jeb Sinclair dots the ball down, and Brett Gosper just turns around, shakes his head, and goes, "We can't let anyone know about this." Yes, <laughs> they saw it. Some will <laughs> encode the footage as well, rather than letting it die to the ages. As well, much like our extensive chat on DJ Khaled last week, yes, I would quickly like to touch on this amateur footage I found, which is just a video okay. called Canada v Tonga 2011. And basically, okay. it's filmed by a group of Canadian fans just sat from the stands, you know, clearly having a good time. But there's one guy who, again, sounds like he must be the son of Mr. Posh, who presented this, <laughs> who just really wants to show that he knows what rugby is all the time. Oh, and no. I, I reckon he's probably about, I don't know, 16, 18, hearing him. Right, okay. But he then, just like the ball goes out of play, and he, you can just hear him in the background go, line out, and stuff like that. Uh, and, oh, that's a tackle. I think this is a turnover, and stuff like that. Was it sounded very on Rugby 06? I was literally about to say, yeah, it's the same <laughs> as John Inverdale in Rugby 04. Yes. <laughs> no news makes the break. <laughs> Wait, did you say Nunu? <laughs> no, no, which is how he said Marnonu in that game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wilkinson kicks a goal. <laughs> yeah. Williams knocks it on. It will be a scrum. Yeah. Anyway, going back to the try. No, we should talk about Gordon Bray at some point in that game. That that rugby foil, but not Sh- right now. We... Go on, yeah, sorry, okay, the try. Okay, okay. <laughs> I would much rather not give people nightmares and instead talk about. DTH setting up this try. So he finds Tarkafa, who is the Tongan hooker, in front of him, mm. who really didn't fancy making that tackle. <laughs> no, he could have just tripped him instead, really. Yeah, that's true. We'll come on to that. Yeah. So DTH rounds him very well from what very clearly wasn't crossing, but was maybe suggested to be in some of the other games, and later on in this game as well, where he sort of goes behind one of the other Canadian players who's running a lot a hard line off him, and then steps around Talcafa, manages to make the mm. line break, does a little overhead pop to yeah. Hearn on the uh, no, Ryan no, no, Smith. Ryan Smith. Ryan, Ryan Smith. Smith, sorry, yeah. On the right wing. And then he sort of does a little spin move and Jeb Sinclair rips the ball off him very cleverly and subtly and dives over. Yeah. And Sinclair is delighted by yeah, this. It's one of those proper like I mean the whole Canadian team and both teams look so up for this game. Which is part of why it's great. It's like a proper World Cup match. Where, yes, they're not... Yes, it's not the All Blacks against the Springboks or whatever. It's not England against France. Yeah. It's not, like, traditional powerhouses. But it's proper rugby teams. People have worked for four years. This is the highlight of their whole thing. You know, that there's no there's no playing in a Premiership final. There's no going off and playing in the European Cup. There's no yeah. Six Nations matches. This is what they build towards for four years. Yeah. And they're so excited about the thought that they could win a game here. Because this, this would be a big scout for either team if they yeah. won it. And yet they've both got a realistic shot at winning it. It was a really finely balanced game. And both teams are so up for it. And the thing I love about World Cup is seeing players like, yes, Jeb Sinclair was a player playing across the youth leagues at the time. 
but you've equally got uh, DJ Van der Merwe, the other key player in that try. Yeah. But like Ryan Smith popping up having a great game. Like as I mentioned, Andy Monroe having one of the games of his life, and you've got all of these kind of obscure players that if you're not watching those kind of dodgy streams at two in the morning from Rugby America, you're not familiar with. And they're probably been having brilliant games. And as you say, like you're speaking to strangers about the Canadian guy with a beard. That doesn't happen. That doesn't yeah. happen normally for Canada against Tonga. But it pops up during World Cups. And that's what I love about them. And there's something like you see that energy on Jeb Sinclair as he scores. And on Aaron Carpenter as he scores in the second half. And as the final whistle goes and the ball's kicked out and the whole Canadian team go just completely wild over it. It's fantastic. It's the yeah. kind of energy that I love from a World Cup match. Yeah, I feel like just the general energy levels from Canada throughout the entire game are mm. just what any World Cup team should aspire to be. Yes. And that's not something you can very often say about Canada more recently. But in, in this game, there's particularly, I think, in the lead up to Siali Pietal's first try at the end of the first half, mm. like the Canadian defence is brilliant and they're, they're actively yeah. looking to drive them back. Obviously, Tonga then, as you say, as soon as they get outside the 13 channel, they have half the pitch to work in. Yeah. And they very patiently retain the ball and Pietal manages to cut inside McKenzie and dot down. But the Canadian levels of defence there were brilliant and like they did tie themselves out Sure, that's a factor. But again, I just think like looking at their their levels of energy that they kept up all the way through to the 80th minute. And a lot of those players mm. had played a longer, harder game than they've played in the rest of their lives. So, yes, lots to be said. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's like Canada were really committed. And there's a thing Justin Marshall said afterwards that in some ways sounds slightly naff. But I quite like when they're reading through the statistics. And he said, but there's no way of quantifying heart. Because that's kind of what actually both teams gave. That it was properly them throwing everything at it, and it clearly meant a lot to them. I've got to know. say that that phrase by Justin Marshall was slightly less profound than me, oh my, I have enjoyed that yes boy. Yeah. But it was pretty good. <laughs> Wasn't it weird listening to early Justin Marshall commentating? Because he'd only just retired at this point. And there's a point in which one of the other commentators, I think it's Tony Johnson, TJ, points out that a few of the players on the pitch are younger than him. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if you noticed this. I've forgotten his name because he played in the 2011 World Cup. Oh, uh, Tafua. Uh, Tafua, sorry. Who Tonga bring off the bench at fly off, right? He's a 38-year-old former Japan Sevens player yeah. who comes on because he's like Canadian-born. He comes on. Oh, no, sorry, Tongan-born. That'd be a hell of a... <laughs> just a, 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 like a I Dan think, Carter I think he played fullback with Marath moving to 10. Right, okay. But he comes on. And yeah, rips the ball to give Tonga a chance yeah. in the last few minutes. And it is probably like, right, okay, they've got a, like an elderly man who played sevens for Japan years ago and has only just come back to Tonga for some reason. Yeah, like a vet. Uh, yeah, it was. I'm surprised yeah. he was wearing the correct shorts. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he wasn't turning up wearing like socks from the '92 season. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so the point with Justin Marshall, like, it was funny listening to him like doing actual analysis and actually making points rather than just doing catchphrases yeah yeah no he genuinely made some really good points throughout yeah, the match like, there were solid analysis throughout there's a really good bit of analysis which i didn't pick up on about dth's mm. work rate in defense there's a bit mm. where tonga managed to spread the ball wide and they had vinicola on the right wing we're not even mentioned yet who was a serious player and in... if anyone remembers him, he was one of the quickest players you'll ever see. Like yeah, he was yeah. proper just out and out acceleration. Yeah, his acceleration was insane. And in that first half, he was kind of having Phil McKenzie on toast. Like every time he got the ball, like he was so strong, so quick. McKenzie mm. managed to shut him down and credit to him because he was a difficult player to mark. 
but there was a point where he cuts inside him and DTH sprints across from half the pitch away and nails him and manages to get up and slow the ball down loads. And Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just to Marshall point that out, and I was like, oh, I didn't realise that. Just to Marshall, yeah. not like you to give real genuine insight. <laughs> There's the other thing that Justin Marshall does in this game, though, is because obviously, as we mentioned, DTH had, had bleached his hair. And also on the other wing, Phil McKenzie, who you just mentioned, course, also yeah. had bright blonde hair. And it kind of, there were a lot of highlights going on in there. And there were two points in the game, at least, in which Justin Marshall kind of begins to pick up on and make fun of their haircut. And it's like, mate, you're just Justin Marshall. Marshall. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> people in glass houses shouldn't bleach their hair blonde because people can see through the glass of those houses and see how <laughs> ridiculous they look. Like, Justin Marshall, you've done that. You've had that look. Don't Don't act that now. Don't act like they've done anything below you. Otherwise, Mike Phillips will come along to tell you your shit. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> Another point that I thought was great was uh, it was a, a, shortly after the kickoff of the second half. Was there was a really good at- uh, attacking set from Canada where mm. just as Kleeberger was starting to get in the game and make a few more tackles, DTH makes a bit of a bust and offloads to Kleeberger, who then mm. swats mm. away about three tacklers and manages to offload again to DTH, who'd previously yeah. done like an out the back offload, which had gone to ground, but it didn't really matter because he managed to find the space. I know it's me eating my words, talk about the amount of times Moa passed to the floor. But... <laughs> yeah, and DTH knocks it on in trying to free the ball. Yeah. But if that had bounced backwards, because it was close to, it was yeah. it almost went backwards. Would have been a clear that would have been a yeah clear try, and they execute it like yeah. it would have been a try for Kieran Hurt, yeah. and it would have been like a proper try the tournament so far contender. Yeah. It was a really nice try, and it was again those Canadian players that were kind of noteworthy, you know, getting involved together. And yeah. I I really rate Kieran Hurt and always have. Oh always yeah, a huge fan of him. Yeah, and I also love the fact that he has that. He's one of those players that's really specifically kind of gifted in that he has the biggest boot from a drop kick I've ever seen, but not in like a Fran Stein nailing drop goals way. He's able to kick a drop kick higher than anyone else I've ever mm. seen. So he's really useful in sevens on restarts. Of course. And Canada would throw their 22 dropouts to him, which is weird to see a winger taking a 22 dropout, but it's just something he was, for whatever reason, really, really good at. Yeah, and he's played every position in the back line apart from scrum half for Canada, I believe. And he's even started mm. at 10, which is a bizarre thing to think about. To say that, you know, you really think of him as an outside centre and a winger early in his yeah. career. But the fact he's played 10 and fullback in international rugby, you know, clearly this is something in him. So, no, really good player, really good player. Yeah, yeah. And no, no, it was a, two teams full of really strong players. And we mentioned... In the the first episode now, which feels so long ago, I know. I don't know. Like we only just were getting familiar with the idea of lockdown then, yeah. Rather than thinking, what was life? But Taniella Moa, who was the chunky Tongan scrum half we mentioned way back when, yeah. This week moves to ten, yeah, and it's an interesting experiment, and it also means they move Kurt Marath to fullback because that allows them to keep in their best goal kicker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, how did that how did that work out? Well, Marath missed two early kicks, which wasn't ideal. I mean, I don't know if you're going to disagree on, with me on this, but I just don't think Mo is a 10 whatsoever. The <laughs> no, thing is... No, I don't. I've, yeah. I just think he's a better passer of the ball, so he's able to unlock their defence a couple of times. Yeah, okay. But I, he's not a 10. A couple of times, but then, as I say, he managed to unlock his own defence a couple of times by passing to the floor. Genuinely, but... if he came through now, he'd be a hooker. 
That's not a terrible shout. Uh, as I've taken the piss out of Moa quite a lot in the previous episode. Mm. Firstly, because he's a big lad. Secondly, because of his hair. And thirdly, because of the way he plays. I don't actually think he's a bad player. And I can remember there was another game that I recently watched, which we'll talk about later in this podcast series, where I watched him and thought, you know what? Moa was pretty handy. But mm. watching this game, I was not overly convinced by him. I like Tom- Tomasi Palu, though, at Scrum Off. Yeah. He was a pretty good player, pretty nippy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, and then he obviously comes off and they move Mora yeah. into nine. But up until then, he was actually doing the thing they probably wanted against New Zealand. But I do think Mower was their best scrum He was, yeah. And he I was think the most experienced he was, game yeah. manager and stuff as well. Just, it's a shame he was built like, like one of those really round potatoes you get when you reach into a batch. When you have like a bag of potatoes, yeah. and most of them are normal potato size, and then one of them's really round. That's like him sort next to all the other scrum halves at the World Cup. Sure. Like the, sure. the misshapen potato, yeah. Taniella Moa. That's the name of his biopic. <laughs> With Tomasi Palu, though, can we just touch on his incredibly mm. cynical moment where Canada have an overlap inside their own 22, and they're about to ship it wide where they've got Mackenzie and Van der Merve spare, mm. and Palu flies in for an offside position. And just about does one of the most deliberate knock-ons I've ever seen. <laughs> and like really actively slaps it down. And there was a point earlier in the game actually where after the whistle, Moa punched the ball away out of frustration. I was about to, I was about to yeah, take it that and raise you. There's a point at which, yeah, Kleberger wins a turnover. As the ball's kind of spilling out, the referee blows the whistle. And the referee will get onto again to keep using that phrase. And as the ball's coming towards him, instead of doing the thing that most tens do, where they catch it and then they kind of boot it away in frustration or they kind of throw it at the floor or if they're Jonathan Sexton they just kind of shout and scream for 18 minutes instead Moa just as the ball's coming to him punches it (laughs) which I entertain me entertain me I laughed out loud when I saw that yeah yeah do you think that was just a cover up for the amount of times the ball hit the floor otherwise like no I'm doing it deliberately I'm always doing it deliberately punching haymaker Yeah, yeah. Exactly. If Sonny Bill can take up boxing, Quaid can take up boxing, <laughs> so can I. <laughs> yeah. This is my Try opponent. Mates. Yeah. yeah. He's the same shape as me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. He's yeah. kind of tiny on the top and big in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it's, it's not often you get somebody shaped like him entering the flyweight competitions, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, that Parlo deliberate knock on, which he got yeah. away with just a penalty against him for. I know that you hate talking about deliberate knock ons, so I feel like we should quickly move <laughs> no, on. No, because I think that was a deliberate knock on. Yeah. And I'm increasingly coming around to like, oh, that's the way it's refereed and so on. Yeah. But yeah. I always think like a lot of times they're just going for the interception, so it's just a knock on. Yeah. That one, that yeah. one was a clear slap. No, that, w- that wasn't. That, yeah. that was not. I do always um, love that. I, I always respect the hell out of that when a player like so clearly like. F- one-handed like bats the ball as far away as possible with like no attempt to catch the ball i almost think that warrants less of a yellow card than when someone tries to style it out as an intercept attempt well it's it's one of those it definitely would have been a yellow card if the tmo could have intervened back then yeah because you know in 2011 the tmo could only come in for tries he could only come in for the actual scoring yeah so it wasn't able to do that same with and i think i'm going to touch on it now the trip which happened immediately after this starring Rob Bryden and Steve Coogan. Uh. It's a series of... No. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't long after that. So, Talcatha, the Tonga hooker, just just, just, just outright tripped on the Canadian backs. Yeah, it's um, Pritchard. I forget who it was. It was Pritchard. Okay. Yeah. Uh, who was chasing a kick. He just outright, like, arm in the way, puts his foot out, trips him. Yeah. Given away without anything. Uh, Jonathan Kaplan, the referee, 
who I I am about to get onto. I'm about to to I'm winding myself up to get onto. Yeah. Sees it and shouts, "Play on!" And so I've I've got a theory about why Jonathan Kaplan lets that go. Okay. And before I give it, I'm going to take a deep breath because it might take a while. And it okay. also Are involves you... a quiz. Oh, right, okay, okay. Everyone is currently switching off given what happened in the last episode. <laughs> Are you about to tell me about another Thai film? It does not involve Thai cinema, but okay. it does involve something that will make me even more animated. Okay. So, so Jonathan Kaplan. Okay. Jonathan Kaplan, the referee. Okay. Now retired at the time, perfectly fine referee. And I think other than there's that call, there's the the other one which probably should have been a yellow card instead of just a penalty. Otherwise, has a good game. Perfectly fine, perfectly yeah. decent referee. Weirdly goes and commits to sevens later on in his career as well, but fine, whatever. Um however, as I said, I normally don't like to talk about the referee, but I'm willing to make an exception when the referee is an alt right pro Trump supporter. So Jonathan Kaplan, I don't know if people follow him on Twitter and so on and etc. I realise I was and I don't know why and I haven't followed him now. Um, but he regularly likes and retweets posts from alt-right accounts and from kind of pro-Donald Trump rallies and supporters and from Trump himself. Uh, he's a big supporter of Donald Trump. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you a number of tweets and I want you to guess whether Jonathan Kaplan liked or retweeted it or whether he didn't. All of these are real tweets, okay. um, and all of them are from the last, as we're recording this, 72 hours. Okay? Oh my god, okay. Okay. White privilege, in inverted commas, is amazing. I'm so privileged to have virtually every cultural, political, and media institution blame me for all the world's problems. Yes, he And have a that. vicious mob. Yes, he did. Um, vicious mob threatening to ruin my life if I don't submit to their brainwashing. So privileged. Um, Barack Obama will go down as one of the worst presidents in American history. Yes, he retweeted that. Yes, he did. Um, at Harry Hill, you should make a follow-up to your smash hit, the Harry Hill movie. No, he didn't. He didn't, no. Uh, but that was, a, <laughs> that was a real tweet by at Spec Mean. Uh, this was a tweet responding to Donald Trump giving his speech about him launching the military action on, on civilians. Um, a response just saying, real leadership, thank you. Did Jonathan Kaplan like that? Yes. Yes, he did. Gloucester Rugby announced today that David Humphreys decided to leave the club at the end of June after six seasons in charge of director of rugby. No. <laughs> did Jonathan Kaplan like that? He did like that. Oh. Um, that is the basically the one example, spoilers, of something that isn't alt-right news. Um, a tweet about how Donald Trump is arguably the greatest president in American history. Yes. Yeah, he retweeted that. Uh, David Bowie had sex with 14-year-old girls. Why are we allow? Why do we allow people who were, inverted commas, talented to get away with paedophilia just because they were talented? Uh, yes, he retweeted that. Was, that was him. That, that was him. Uh, more amazingly, Animal Crossing New Horizons sold over 100k physical units in Japan this week, bringing a lifetime physical sales to a staggering 1.685 million units. The game hasn't sold over 100k physical units since it launched in March. Let me repeat that, in March. I have a strange feeling... Jonathan Kaplan didn't retweet that. He did not, no. So, Jonathan Kaplan, for anyone keeping score, right, is an alt-right, as to use that phrase again, he's not pro-Harry Hill, which is disappointing. Yeah, not actively, he is anyway. Not, not actively, no, yeah. no, no, no. He's not He's not really vocally after a sequel to the Harry Hill movie from 2013. Yeah, yeah. Which is a real shame, because that was an okay film. If anybody happens to know Jonathan Kaplan personally, and could ask him 
If he so, thinks there should be a sequel to the Harry Hill movie, then please, please do that for us. No, so, okay. So, John, he also, though, retweeted a story about my video on the final. He retweeted South African Rugby Magazine. Did he now? Tweeted the thing on it. Yes, he did. Um, and I want to make the point that I think he fundamentally misunderstood my video. He misunderstood or missed the point in the ending. Okay. And in past, whenever people who are... And this is one of these points of, like, 20 years ago, this view, this whole white privilege doesn't exist thing wouldn't have been considered outright racist. Whereas now I think we kind of have to upgrade the, the level of it to be so. Um, just because he doesn't out, you know, he doesn't outright hate black people or whatever, or people of colour, doesn't mean that actually <laughs> by pushing a pro-white agenda in the middle of what is this 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 huge event for people of colour, for trying to gain genuine equality, it is itself a, a, a racist act. And so by the whole, by pushing the whole all lives matter or this whole thing about, there's a lot of tweets in his kind of, in his like folder and in his um, retweets and so on about white privilege and about how it doesn't exist. And as I say, it's like white privilege is a racist myth that has no basis in fact or data. That's another, another of his. Um, he's fundamentally missed the point I make at the end of the video, which is that the whole Sia Khaleesi thing, that no pain is invalid, just because the person next to you is hurting more doesn't mean that your pain hurts less and yeah. vice versa. And the whole point in the Black Lives Matter movement at the minute, and the whole po- and over the last however long, the whole point in this equality is getting to a point in which we understand, as white people, that actually it does hurt. And actually, by saying "oh, all lives matter," you're fundamentally missing that exactly that point I was making. And if he's retweeted my video in past, I've said with Israel for laughing. I began to say this earlier, but I got carried away. Um, that I don't want people who support Israel for Lau reading my stuff or watching it or whatever because i outright disagree with them and i don't think that's good enough anymore um i think we have to actively confront and challenge these views um and i this is something i've come to realize and you know like i i could get into my views on brexit and how i i feel like that kind of came about just because people went oh you're voting leave oh you're a twat then rather than actually challenging them on what they felt and how they felt about things um and i think that's something we've got to kind of try and challenge and instead and this is not the most articulate versions i've done in the last 48 hours and i apologize because it's the one that probably the most people hear but the point is that this whole white privilege does exist because jonathan kaplan has personally never gone into a game and received racial abuse he's never walked through the street and feared that a police officer may arrest him or even shoot him just for nothing just for you know having his hands in his pockets jonathan kaplan has never been through any of this kind of and, you know, there's another tweet in his folder about how um, how it's nonsense, this the mayor of an American town saying he couldn't possibly understand racism because he, or fully because he's a white man. And Jonathan Kaplan retweeted something about how, you know, that's nonsense and that's rubbish. Um, and actually, it's not, you know, actually, no, you can't understand. And you're refusing to be empathetic and you're refusing to be decent when you know we always say the best referees are the ones that have empathy for the players you know he hasn't got empathy for fellow human beings he's not willing to look at that and like i think fundamentally this whole thing about you know white privilege and refusing white privilege comes from an inability to admit that you did something wrong to admit that your your race as a people did something wrong made a mistake and built a society that is fundamentally kind of 
just just leaning towards your side and you're refusing to accept that. Maybe maybe his refusal to accept when he went wrong is why he became a referee. Maybe that's exactly why he went into it because he couldn't admit that 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 he was wrong. He couldn't admit that he made a mistake in a game. I don't I don't know his background, but I I fundamentally feel completely opposed this and I feel a need to call it out and to make a big point of it by talking about it for 20 minutes and I also feel this is exactly why he let the trip go because he wanted to prove a point that white privilege doesn't exist and that therefore he will penalise a black man or a a person of colour a Maori uh, Tongan individual (laughs) for tripping a white man um, just in order to prove his point and that is my theory on why Jonathan Kaplan didn't penalise that trip in the 2011 World Bill Cup because he is, you know, he he isn't a white supremacist, but he's a he's so caught up in his own whiteness that he's will, unwilling to look at the world around him, and that is what I think of Jonathan Kaplan. And if he wants to unfold me, fine. But I'd rather, or if he wants to come on the podcast, fine. But yeah, uh, Jonathan Kaplan. Um, so all in <laughs> next, all, you think ne- that was a yellow card? The trip. I do, yeah. I think that was probably a yellow card. Uh, join me next week when I I investigate Wayne Barnes's holidays through going through his emails oh or something. That was yeah, probably longer than the Uncle Boone me run. Yes, I think that was a solid fifteen minutes, and not the most. As I said, it, that was not the most articulate version of that I've done today. But it probably needs do it. As I say, I think it's important that people call people like Jonathan Kaplan out, that we don't just let it go or we don't turn it into a joke. You know, it's very easy to just go, oh, well, you know, he, he likes Donald Trump, so he's a twat. And actually, I don't think that's the mature thing to do. I'd, I'd, I'd rather go on a 15-minute rant about it, even if it isn't the, the best version of that rant. So, yeah, uh, rugby. You're listening um, to the rugby, rugby World Cup retrospective, by the way. <laughs> I was going to say, at least Where I didn't we, talk about Thai cinema. We talk exclusively about Tonga against Canada from 2011. Uh, and nothing else, nothing else. So, uh, so uh, I watched an indie film called Oh my god Never Sometimes Always <laughs> I even got the name of the film wrong so I'm going to have to stop It's really good though <laughs> okay, It's really good Sure Whatever Never cool. Really Sometimes cool. Always it's called Okay Yeah Third feature by uh, Eliza Hitman Glad to hear it Really impressive little film Really impressive indie Brilliant. film Brilliant Well done Yeah it's great It's very good So Oh my god uh, am I allowed to talk about I've also been again? going back through the work of Aki Karazmaki, the oh Finnish auteur lately. Shut <laughs> up. Um, so, rugby. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Uh can we talk about so, <laughs> can, a genuine question? Can we talk about after the Pritchard trip, the time when in this game of rugby, 
the team of Tongan <laughs> players got the ball, and then can we talk about all of it? Am I allowed to continue with this? Or? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. It, yeah. And then they spread yeah. it wide to Will, Will Hello. Remember him, the rugby player from the game of rugby. <laughs> no. Anyway, the, I've, yeah. oh, I've been thrown off oh, track. Will, Will Hello. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. I'm saying. God. Like, yeah. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm ready to quit this fucking podcast. Anyway, you you become very sweary. <laughs> you made me You're... sweary. I didn't. Jonathan Kaplan did. Uh, anyway, anyway, if Jonathan Kaplan had shown some empathy for fellow human beings and just accepted that actually black lives do matter as much as white lives, then maybe we wouldn't be in this mess. So will Hallie... generally. Yes. So Will Hellu. I didn't even mention the police once, oh mate. Come on. I'm not that bad. Uh, so Will Hellu puts over like a pretty smart kick into the Canadian 22. Mm. Uh, I'm just going to barrel through yes, this. Yes, yeah, yeah. Go, 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 go on. Go on. Yeah. Yeah, puts a very smart kick into the uh, Canadian 22. And Phil McKenzie lands to cover across, does pretty well. Mm. Manages to sort of get a toe on it, just enough for it to trickle over the touchline. So yes. Tonga needs to take a line out rather than playing on. And then we get to the point where. Tonga set up in the Canadian 22 and for all I've said about him this was a brilliant piece of game management by Taniela Moa and mm. it looks so simple but what a try for Piertau's second Olika sets it up with a very quick sort of phase so he goes straight to ground recycles quick ball doesn't really allow for much of a fold round from the yeah. Canadians. And Moa gives what looks like a very simple little switch to Piertau and opens up a gap brilliantly. And it's a great score. And it's just yeah. as you think this game is bubbling now. It's one of those tries that looks very simple because you can do really easy analysis on it. Because yeah. it is, you know, as the commentators say at the time, it's a quick man put against a slow man. And But actually, there is so much work to get into that position. Yeah, And they don't just put a quick man against a slow man they drag the slow man out of position yeah and then fire the quick man into the position of the slow man i said that last phase by olika makes such a big difference in terms of setting no, up completely for agree, the two yeah. of them yeah 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 oh and like pietau has a really strong game oh he's great isn't he yeah because he's so organized and it is the other thing as i mentioned about those players that pop in world cups and are really solid or really great that you don't necessarily know otherwise the other thing is, you see the players like him, like Pat Reardon, who had a good game for Canada, yes, was a yeah, captain did, at the time. Yeah. Good leader. Who are kind of exactly, but they're kind of they are that that leadership figure. They are that like big talisman for their country, for the the tier two, the minnow nations. Those players who are always consistently solid. Yeah, yeah, a bit like Aki Karasmaki, the director of films Shut such up. as The Other Side of Hope, uh, Le Havre. Stop um, talking. <laughs> Leningrad Pirates Go America. I think yeah. Cowboys go Michael rather. Okay. Uh, are we done? <laughs> We're done. We're okay. Done. So then we'll move on to another try from the game of rugby where Connor Trainer comes on. I was going to say, good friend of the podcast, Connor Trainer. Not true. Why is Connor, why is Connor Trainer a friend of the podcast? We've Basically. never had any contact with Connor Trainer. No, but off air, we've said that one of our dream guests is yes. Connor Trainer because. Later on in this tournament, he goes on to come in last minute against the All Blacks and score two tries. So, Connor, I know you're listening. Hit us up and present the podcast instead of this other guy that I've got on with me. I think that'd be a good idea. Yeah, I think I, it would. No, I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, Connor Trainer comes on and sort of barrels through the Tonga defence, which very positively sets up the space for Carpenter to run a good line and score that try, uh, which takes... Canada to 18-20 behind at this point as Pritchard mm. misses the conversion. And so 
you sense that Canada are down but not out. Yeah. Yeah. And Canada then press quite a bit and they have a chance with a long range penalty that the wind's apparently really strong in the game. Yeah. So they don't take that shot and they kick for the corner instead. And they just kind of press and they just kind of show a patience. I don't think we've seen from many Canadian teams since. I think because they've pretty much since losing that game to Romania in the 2015 World Cup. Yeah. There's been this enormous pressure on everything Canada do that I, I've genuinely always felt a bit for them because their existence is so built around doing well in World Cups mm. and around qualifying and around the odd game against the USA. And the USA have improved at such a rate and they've had this such pressure on every game that they haven't been able to show the kind of composure that they have. And I think that just, that tiny psychological factor has been massive for Canada. Yeah. And it was really good to see such a composed, calm Canadian team. Yeah, yeah. And again, the next try, which is the winning try in the end by Phil McKenzie, mm. they show the exact same thing. They retain the ball yeah. for ages off the, the line out. Yeah, well, that was what I was talking about. Yeah, that try. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. count themselves in the Tongan 22. And what effectively happens is they eventually set up a phase where uh, Hotson is set to carry, does a loop back to the nine, who sets up Monroe. Ed Fairhurst. Yeah, of course, Ed Fairhurst, who I'm going to talk later about something else Ed Fairhurst does, but uh, okay. he sets up Monroe into a bit of a gap, who sort of manages mm-hmm. to jink around a few players, and Mackenzie's there on hand after Monroe's gone to ground to pick the ball up and dart over from a sort of scrum-off type snipe. But it's a really good support line from Mackenzie, and he really anticipates mm. it, and it's the sort of thing you see the likes of Marika Korobiti do these days. In terms uh, of, I was gonna, yeah, yeah, he was exactly the player I was going to go to. Yeah, yeah. That it it is that he's waiting and he knows it's going to be his chance to finish. It's a proper poacher's try. And because Phil McKenzie doesn't get talked about that much, but he was a really good winger. Yeah, he worked hard, didn't like, he? Exactly. Well. Hard worker, really good finisher, and quick enough. Yeah. Like, he, you didn't look at him. He wasn't like Fetty Van der Kohl and you went, oh, he's just lightning. Yeah. But he was quick enough to finish any chance you gave him. And as I say, like, he came up against an incredibly talented, strong winger and dealt with him, yeah. you know? Even yeah. though he managed to swat him off a few times, Mackenzie still managed to slow his man down and just mm. generally a very solid, underrated defender. Well, yeah, Van yeah. only really had one notable run in the game. And that is to Mackenzie's credit and to Dietrich van der Merwe's credit yeah. as well. Yeah, uh, of course, as Mackenzie, you know, yeah, as Mackenzie crashes over, of course, the scenes then when he does his, he does a little heart celebration with van der Merwe. Yes. That thing when people like make a heart with their two hands he does that with dth to sort of celebrate the crowds go as wild skater boys playing in the stadium <laughs> and eminem comes on to to see out the the trio yeah yeah then wait he's not canadian no but he's got that hair or he had that hair at oh one point. sure sure sorry sorry i'm with you i thought you were talking about like in combination with avril lavigne but Sure, yeah. Sure. Wait, did they actually play skaterboard? Yeah, they did. What? Why did I miss this? Yeah, yeah. And then, right, one of the commentators, I think it's Tony Johnson, says, they say, oh, Canada. Well, they'll be saying yes. that now. Yeah. <laughs> they say that because it's the national anthem. Yeah. <laughs> well, they say, land of my fathers. Well, they will continue to say that because my father is from that land. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they say, God defend New Zealand. God, if you're listening. Yeah. Well, oh, no, of course. No, the, we also forget the Canadian national anthem at this point was Old Canada because Call Me Maybe hadn't been released yet. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I believe it was this game that inspired Carly Rae Jepsen. It was that exact try by Phil McKenzie. Yeah. Think, <laughs> I just met this guy 
and it's pretty <laughs> crazy. So, you know the video for Call Me Maybe? Yep. Yeah, so Carly Rae Jepsen spends the entire time really, really pining after Phil McKenzie, wanting him to be her everything, wanting wanting him to call her, maybe. Maybe, yeah. And then we get to the end of the video, and the twist is Phil McKenzie was gay with DTH Vandermeer for the whole time, <laughs> and they do that heart thing together, their heart celebration. This is now canon in the world of this podcast. Absolutely. And uh, Israel Folau spits yeah, somewhere we from are, I think, Western Australia. I think for the next Canadian game, if Connor Strain is not free, we're due to have Carly Rae Jepsen on. So we'll ask her a bit more about that. <laughs> that it's entirely possible someone could be A, disappointed or B, Sue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. We, I'll tell you what, we do have a guest lined up for the next calendar game. I can say it's not Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> we will have to bring it up at the time, though. Is it Drake? <laughs> it's Michael Sarah. Oh wow, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, like he's not doing much else these days. No, no. You know, <laughs> he fancied it. Oh no, I can't complain at you at all for going off topic. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, okay, no, 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 no. I think we need to talk about something very important right oh, now. Oh God, what is it? Which is how good Carly Rae Jepsen's last two albums have been. I can say for certain the fact that she became basically a meme. And then goes out and makes Emotion, which is just like properly astounding piece of pop music. It's great. Emotion's really good. Racism is bad. And Uncle Boon Me is quite good, but you shouldn't watch it. Sure. Those are my take on things that aren't rugby. <laughs> okay. Thanks for that, you dick. Look, look, no, we're doing like a 48-hour lengthy compendium of all things I think about rugby the as well as the YouTube Canada. channel. Yeah, well, I'm going to throw in odd moments of things that aren't rugby. Sure. No, that's fine. I generally encourage it. (laughs) But I'm going to regret saying that. Anyway, the last point I have before the rugby match finishes is on a streaker that comes onto the field. Yes. And yes. Not a streak. Yeah. He's showing you that hotline bling. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, from the amateur footage that I watched, you can see a bit more of the streaker and what he does. How oh, can you? And Which bit There's more? a lot of him, turns out. There's, um, he's got a good piece of work going on down there, does this streaker. He's got two legs. Sure, sure, maybe even three. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's, got, he's got a piece of work, he's got Jonathan Kaplan between his legs. <laughs> yeah, anyway... Basically, also, if you decide to go and watch this piece of footage, please send it to Israel Folau with the timestamp for when this happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because yeah. he would love that. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, this And guy's... thank you to everyone that has been. Like, a few people have messaged yes. me with screenshots they sent up to Folau. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. No, it's usually appreciated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Even if I haven't replied, like, because I've had, you know, busy few weeks. But yes, yeah. very much yeah. appreciated. And also reviews and stuff. We'll do all this later. But anyway, anyway. This guy's running around, steps a couple of security guards, dives underneath the mm-hmm. posts, obviously without a ball. Well, yeah. And as you say, yeah, he's, yeah, he's got he's got a spare ball. Yeah, exactly. You can see does, his, yeah, his, unlike uh, Hitler, his knobs flopping about quite a lot. And um, <laughs> Ed, Great, Fairhurst, okay. Ed Fairhurst just kind of looks at him and starts applauding. 
And I'm thinking, are you applauding the length of his penis? <laughs> so, what's he doing? What's he? What's the streaker doing? He's just running around, chasing security, like running away from security guards. Do we know he's not? He's not like <laughs> maybe Ed Furter started clapping the NHS a few years early. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like he's seen a doctor on the sideline. But maybe he's applauding security workers. Ed Furter just turns around and looks at this guy who's, who's running away from security and just yeah. kind of nods and goes yeah that's pretty good and starts clapping him <laughs> hey no you shouldn't laugh because ed Furhurst was an early sufferer of what is now known as vasiliotomy of disease <laughs> <laughs> yeah for anyone unaware of that i realize this is a big running joke between the two of us and i'm not sure if i've mentioned it in much but vasiliotomy the russian captain from last year watch any interview with him because he has a habit of just starting randomly clapping in the middle of sentences and i love him he's wonderful best, yeah. but he will he'll be mid-sentence talking in english and he'll sort of the oh, yes, we're all proud of, of what we achieved in this game and he'll just start clapping and then mid-sentence he'll start talking russian instead and start shouting it he's great yeah yeah i've also just realized we've not actually done a game with russia yet in this world cup have we no <laughs> you said we haven't teams. but anyway oh, we'll dwell no. on that later <laughs> But yeah, then, of course, after the whole streaker incident, Canada managed to keep the ball a little bit, even mm. sort of camped just outside their own 22. And it is Fairhurst himself who kicks the ball out to seal the victory. Yes. And again, it's one of those proper victories, and I mentioned this earlier, where everyone is so excited. Everyone is jumping up and down, every single, all 14 players, arms in the air, shouting, screaming, loving it. Yeah. The Tongans like, can't even look that disappointed because it was a proper test match. Yeah, it was great. And I know we've waxed lyrical about Fiji and Namibia, and I said that in mm. terms of intensity, Wales South Africa was the best game of the tournament so far. But I think this was, for different reasons to Fiji and Namibia, maybe the best game of the tournament so far. I think my favourite remains that Fiji and Namibia game, but that was more because one team kind of ran away with it, but the other team, like, humoured it, did it in, like, they went down in a very entertaining way. But in terms of intensity yeah. between two really evenly matched teams, this is my favourite game of the tournament so far. Hmm. No, I can see that completely. I think it's probably second to Fiji Nubia. I think France-Japan's a lot of fun. Yeah. I really true. enjoyed that. But yeah, no, I, it's a terrific game and it's well worth watching back what you can on YouTube. Definitely. There are two parts that are missing, which is yeah. really annoying. But yeah, it's it's so worth watching. And it is so, you know, when it skips the part that it misses towards the end the sort of the 10 minutes that aren't in the on youtube yeah it's so frustrating yeah, because it kind of skips from a try to a, try, a kick yeah try and you just and start to think the game's properly bubbling yeah you're rubbing your hands over it and thinking like oh this is exciting now and then it's like oh you can skip to parts of set part what part eight now and yeah. you realize you've gone ahead and 10 it's... minutes it's it's also one of those cases where the game's the, the game begins in daylight and it's gone dark by now. Mm, yeah, and this it, that adds something to the atmosphere. Definitely, the atmosphere. In, it kind of feels like the yeah. I watched some clips as well from before the game from kind of local news who were really excited to have a World Cup match, and they were interviewing people in just like the supermarket saying who's going to win Tonga or Canada. And imagine that happening in England, like in Milton Keynes yeah. when they had games. Like, but they were also, and everyone had a view, you know, they're like old ladies weighing in and saying, oh, well, I think this is quite a good Canadian team, actually. And, you know, like entire families where they'd kind of, you know, you, you that there was one couple who started arguing over whether it would be Tonga or Canada. Amazing. And that was great. Like, clearly, they really bought into having the World Cup there. Yeah, it's great. In the way also happened in Japan. And I don't think it did quite happen in England no. because England is kind of used to big sporting events. Yeah. And you knew it was on and it was kind of, it was a big deal. But 
the smaller games weren't. You know, the smaller games were just happening alongside. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you mentioned a dick quite recently. I think we should move on to our closing remarks with the man of the match and the dick of the day. Which do you want to start with? Let's start... Actually, no, because I I just touched on who my dick of the day is. And it's World Rugby for not allowing A, the Jeb Sinclair try to exist. And whoever whoever it is that did the incriminating thing in the footage of that, or like, during the live broadcast, they accidentally put out like the numbers that activate the sleeper agents in the entire Russian team or something. <laughs> There's clearly something incriminating going on in the foot of that try. Whoever let that leak and whoever took down part seven of this game oh, yeah. from YouTube. That's true. My clear man of the mat, dick of the day. So the IRB rather than World Rugby, which I also means it's say, not the people I work for a bit at the minute. So you know how in the third episode of this podcast, mm. Fiji Namibia, you gave Dick of the Day right. to Rugby. Does that mean there's a second vote for Rugby is Dick of the Day? No, it's the IOB. Oh, the okay. IOB are my okay. Dick of the Day. Fair enough, fair enough. My nominations for Dick of the Day, well, I've only got two, mm. but one of them was Mr. Posh Commentator Presenter Man, because yes. at half-time, I'm not sure you clocked this, as well, it's worth saying, because they did the highlights of the Samoa Namibia game, which was, of course, our last yes. episode. And there's a couple of things that we didn't notice that, you know... Yeah, I was thinking like... YouTube, yeah. yeah. So Paul Williams got a yellow card for like a really insane late tackle on Tynes Kotzer where he nearly ripped his head yeah. off. But, we had no idea. It was like, I did think at least someone got to watch it. That's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they showed Tuolangi's what would have been his third try when we touched upon hmm. this again. Eliotta from Wanusipola was stood at fullback and stepped a few people and set it up for him. And this presenter guy said, oh yeah, Alessandro Tualangi scored his third try, which was set up by Daryl De La Harp, who was playing for Namibia. Right. So. What? Yeah. He just looked at who number 21 was, but on the wrong team. <laughs> and oh, credited okay. him with the assist for Tualangi's try. So in that game, both teams normally play in blue, right? So I don't know if there's something in that, but both teams in the in this game normally play in red and yeah. my other nomination for dick of the day is the cameraman who after Canada score a penalty cut to a load of Tonga fans <laughs> oh no who then kind of they kind of sat there looking slightly bored then one of them starts going to go wee Tonga <laughs> immediately afterwards rookie error that rookie error I know but everyone was wearing red because both teams wear red yeah yeah they accidentally cut some Wales fans yeah they're like oh, what are the Scarlet fans doing <laughs> who's wearing the Saracens away kit <laughs> Who are those men in Santa hats? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, my my dick of the day for a second nomination that I've given to this player was, in fact, who else but Taniella Moa. Okay. Firstly, because of lots of shit passing. Secondly, because of that thing where he punched the ball away. But most importantly, there's a point where Tonga have a scrum, what, 15 metres infield? Mm. Sort of about halfway, maybe on their own 10 metre line. And... Tanya Lamoa is stood on the blind side with his two centres and runs like a proper three-man loop, like near the touchline. And it's like, well, obviously this is going to end up yes. in touch. And yeah. he ends up getting the ball back on the loop and he's like inches out from the touchline with a winger just like completely lost outside him. It's like, why have you run that on the blind side? It doesn't make any sense. Like he's not thought it through whatsoever. So again, it's a pretty minor thing but you know high level international rugby but Tanya Lamoa is my dick of the day for that for your your second time you've given Tanya Lamoa dick of the day yeah in two games yeah okay Bold. should we should we publicly mention that you broke up with him during this tournament 
you were just jealous watching on Phil McKenzie and DTH's Eternal Love. Yeah. Oh dear. What have you started? I know. Uh, anyway. We're an hour ten into this. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Carly Ray, I Man hope of the you're match. still tuned in. Uh, Man of the <laughs> Match. Uh, do you want to go first or should I? I'll go yeah, first, I'll right? go first. Yeah, you go, I'll first. go... No, you go first. You go first. Okay, you go I'll go first. first. I'll go first. You go first. You go first. Okay, I'll go first. So, Adam Kleberg was the official man of the match. Who yes. I really want to give it to him. I'm not actually really decided. I've just got three names written down. Okay. Kleberger was the official man of the match for the amount of carries he made, an insane yeah. amount of tackles, disrupting the ball. There was as 15 well tackles. something. Yeah, something I didn't point out was on McKenzie's try. The way he floods through and clears out and just completely yes. deads off any fold that Tonga might be potentially getting in there. And that was just a great bit of sort of unseen rucking work. So he's one person. Siali Piatau is another one. Ran direct all day, defended brilliantly. Yeah. Mm. I think I'm going to give it to DTH van der Merve Because, okay. as I say, the it's weird because this game was won by the forwards, but I feel like he kind of mm. doubled as a forward at times. Because, as I say, like he often dropped a fullback and he would often come in and make tight carries. There's one in particular which I think was a bit of a turning point where he sprints in from fullback and not a lot's really on. And he manages to step out of one tackle and then somebody else seems to have him pretty well wrapped up and he still manages to fend them off and just break yeah. through the other side and get another offload in. And I just think he did stuff like that all game. He was just so incredibly competent that I feel like Kleberger sort of was key to closing the game out and making sure that hmm. Tonga didn't get anything going. But Without DTH playing, I don't think Canada would have been able to get quite the level of go forward and line breaks and stuff that they managed. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think he was such an important player in this Canadian team for just covering everybody's tracks. Who was the third player you had written down? I counted three. So Clayberger, Piertel, DTH. Oh, okay, Peter. Yeah, cool. cool. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I think Piertel was the standout player for Tonga. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah. I didn't really know any other Tongans yeah. as Man of the Match contenders. Yeah. Which I thought was weird to say they were very much in the game and they were they were always there or thereabouts. But Pieter was the only one that really stood out. I think actually Takafa did have a good game despite the yeah. moments of indiscipline. But yeah, and Tamalolo as well, always present. Oh, I'm just always looking out for always him. Fun. I love him. Yeah, but my man of the match was very much torn between two people. Again, one of which being Adam Kleberger, who I thought was fantastic. There's another moment that we haven't mentioned where he was, he was penalised for. But where there's just like a normal looking ruck where everyone's kind of set in low body positions. And then suddenly out of nowhere, Kleberger's head and his massive beard just kind of pops out of the ball. And it's like a little pop-up book. It's like he just kind of pops out of nowhere, like out of a hedge, you know, in a cartoon and kind of pops the ball over. And he gets penalised, but, you know, it was it was fun. I enjoyed that. And it kind of just summed up him in the game, you know, like normal stuff was going on. Then you're just like, no, no, I'm doing this. I've got the ball now. No, I'm going to make this tackle. No, I'm going to make this carry. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I thought he was fantastic, and he said just involved yeah. in every aspect of the game. I thought Aaron Carpenter was very good as well. Yeah, yeah, good. But the other player really in contention for me was Andrew Monroe. Really? Who I thought was brilliant ah. in just everything. So I thought he distributed really well, and he played the role of a fly half really adeptly, and yet was also coming in as a crash ball centre and a seven. And like he was going into the breakdown and actually slowing the ball down. Mm. He was shooting at the line and actually making big hits. He was kind of coming in on tight carries and actually breaking the game line, actually making yardage yeah. and carrying men with I him. It's not, and it was at this when you give people give a ten man of the match, it's not the traditional mm. sort of game that you'd expect from that. But he did have a very good game. No. So it was like a really weird performance. Mm. But I was he was the player that impressed me the most. But I think Adam Kleberger might have been the player 
most influential on the game. Yeah. So I'm really torn between the two of them. Yeah. I want to give it to Adam Monroe just because he surprised me, you know, because I, I didn't remember him yeah. having a game like this, whereas I did remember Adam Kleberger yeah, being yeah. standout. I thought I was going to give it to Kleberger, but I also yeah. kind of expected you'd pick him. <laughs> yeah, I likewise expected you to pick him. But I also, so I've picked, it's starting to annoy me the amount of backs I've been picking for Man of the yeah, Match. Yeah, I thought So that. if you look at the last few episodes, you know, I've picked... Tualangi. Have you been picking them? Yeah, yeah I've picked Tuolangi. I've picked Tommy Bow. I picked Foy Dupria. Like, I think I'm on a run of picking like five backs in a row at this point. Yeah. So I'm starting to think maybe I should just give it to Adam Kleberger because generally I'm very much a forward should be man of the match type. Yeah, person. me too. And I, I don't want it to come across because obviously we've got a scrum off and a winger presenting this podcast, so it's very much hey, biased. Don't you use the W word? <laughs> it's a slur. Sorry, sorry. Winger lives matter. <laughs> okay, so with that, I think that brings us to an end. Thank you for joining me as always, Mr. Owen. I was going to say it's my pleasure, but it that's about 75% true. Well, so Tonga v Canada, that was covered. That was a really good game. Well worth going back and yeah, watching. Next week, a game that is very much not worth going back to watch. Oh, God. Here we go. Scotland against Georgia. However, we will be joined by the excellent Cammy Black from the Scotland Rugby Podcast. He's ve- We've actually already recorded that one for like, Daylight Interval Magic. He's very, very good value. And hence why for once, I'm actually not afraid to say who the guest is, because there's no chance it will fall through because we've got it in the can already. True. Whereas that's happened a couple of times that we've had a guest lined up and it's not happened. So that's not happening. Cammy is definitely going to be on. Yeah. And the following so week, we're going to be Ray joined Jackson. by someone Yes, really more exciting than Carly Rae Jackson yeah. the following week. I can't, I'm not going to say who that is because there's a chance it may fall through yet. Yeah. But thank you very much for joining us. Otherwise, I'll leave it there unless you have any more words you want to say. Nothing from me other than, cool. you know, if Carly Rae Jackson's listening. Hi. <laughs> is that it? <laughs> we'll finish that. Yeah, okay, bye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.